0: Well, hello there, this is Milena and welcome to another episode of Scientific Mavericks podcast, where it is my pleasure to introduce an incredibly talented team of thought leaders and innovators who are at the forefront of reinventing the way retail companies and channels make business decisions today. This mantra is, "Data has a better idea, and since its inception in 2015, Hivory introduced world's first AI solutions leveraging retail genome, its proprietary algorithm networks and prescriptive analytics with the goal to automate business decisions and help retail companies increase their returns on retail space investment. Hivory spun out of Data 61 and is backed by the Coca-Cola company. Number 204 in the Deloitte 2018 Asia-Pacific Technology FAST 500 ranking, Hivory has been repeatedly recognized as an Australian startup to watch for, and last year, Export Council of Australia awarded Hivory for its contributions to the international trade and New South Wales economy. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Luke Barnes. Luke is a UX designer here at Hivory and has been a part of the team for six months. Prior to Hivery, Luke has had experience working as a graphic, digital, product, and UX designer. I'm very excited to welcome Luke for this episode special and hear his words of expertise on building UI design for an AI startup. So, why don't we get a little more personal, Luke, and hear from you how you got in the field of UX design in the first place.
1: Yeah, cool. So, I grew up uh, always wanting to um, study architecture. And that, that was sort of my goal throughout high school and, and, and uni, and um, basically uh, I got accepted into um, an architecture degree, as well as the option to do an engineering degree as well, which is sort of like a plan B um, for me. I pursued uh, architecture for a year. Um, I discovered that it wasn't really what I thought it would be um, and decided that more, more of a design, um, a sort of a free sort of design practice might be more suitable. Um, So from there, I moved into um, a degree in visual communication, which basically is the practice of just communicating ideas visually, um, more more of a design-centered role rather than a structured role of architecture. From there, I sort of worked for a few companies um, as a graphic um, and web designer, um, got a lot of experience in that role, um, and eventually was given a task of designing an interface for an application. I took that on for a while um, and, and, and actually found a passion in the UI and the UX from that moment and decided that, um, that, that that was a more of a career path that was was aligned to my thinking process, more so than just, just straight up uh, graphic design or web design. Uh, I decided to take formal training in user experience design. And from that moment, um, I sort of fell in love with it. And I decided to, that that would be the, the career that I, I would pursue from that moment forward. So then I, I worked in a previous role and got the, uh, a job at Highbury. Um I think when I come back to sort of, you know, like the initial thoughts of wanting to be an architect or an engineer, being able to be a product designer in software sort of give me that sense of structure and process that, that i found more so in those careers. And I think that's what appeals to me the most. So, yeah, it's sort of taking me back to my roots a little bit. Yeah.
0: I can definitely relate to changing majors quite a lot. I changed mine four times already, and yet have to graduate.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting because you don't really, um, you don't really know what it encompasses until you try it, and you have this idea in your head. Like, for example, for me, like, I, I always just grew up, you know, wanting – it's like seeing, seeing these amazing structures and buildings and just thinking, like, oh, I was going to do that one day, and then, um, you know, I, getting into it, I, I, you discover that, that things are, you know, sort of not as – not as appealing as they seem from the outside and that everything is a, a job one way or another. So you know, it's, it's interesting how you change your thinking like that. But yeah, you, you sort of sort of always keep that same sort of line of sight of what you want to be and the intentions you have for yourself, so.
0: So you joined Hivery about six months ago. What brought you on this journey and uh, what made you gravitate towards an AI startup?
1: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> basically I worked for a company uh, Also in Surrey Hills at the time, uh, when I heard about Hivery, um, they were a local local software company just down the road um, and and I'd heard about them before. I'd I'd even seen uh, a few job positions available at the company um, while sort of making that sort of transition stage from my old old job to the new job. Um, I I did a bit of traveling um, and coming back, uh, a job opportunity arrived at Hivery Um, for for UI UX designer, and I thought you know this is perfect. I should take this opportunity. So I um I applied and I was lucky enough to land the role. Um, And being part of an AI company, yeah. So being part of an AI company was like was like a bonus as well because it sort of also fit into that sort of passion that I had and and, um and, and the potential that I could see in that field at the time.
0: Taking your previous experiences were not in the field of AI. When you joined Ivory, did you observe any radical changes in terms of the principles you use for building an interface, or would you say the foundation is relatively the same?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I think the, the, the foundational principles are very much the same. Um, there's there's a set of a, a set way of doing things um, that, that need to be that need to be completed before you can ensure that you're going to have a solution which is viable and which is actually going to work. Um, and then there's a lot of, a lot of um, methods of, you know, designing an interface and working with the user which are quite standard to the industry. However, in saying that for, for, for an AI firm, I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges I encounter is, is uh, just the sheer complexity of the products that we build and, and what they're capable of and, and trying to find a way to communicate the results and, and what is occurring to the user um is not is not always um, as easy as it sounds, especially when the users may not may not have the same technical understanding as those who make the products possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Look, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you face here at Hybrid around communicating with the user and instilling trust in them?
1: The degree of complexity of products that that you that you encounter as a as a as a designer, as a product designer, um, can vary. So, you know, you can go from something as, as simple and basic as an app interface on a mobile phone to something as complex as an analytics tool, for example, which hybrid makes. Um, and, and the the, the, the goal is, is remains the same, is how can I convey the information um, in a way that's comprehensible? Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest challenge uh, that, that I face here is that, you know, We've, we've got quite a lot of information and a lot of that information isn't, isn't exactly clear um, or, or, or is, is quite sort of um, abstract in its, in its purest form. And, and so we've got to try and find a way of like presenting that information uh, so the user can understand it, especially in a B2B sort of product solution.
0: Could you perhaps provide an example of how you convey such information to the user that could be difficult to comprehend?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, and that's where um, the UX part of it comes in. So we've got to make sure that the, that the experience that we provide to the user sort of matches their workflow and their understanding. So it, can, it can be as simple as, you know, making sure that the terminology we use is aligned to the industry, um, is, is familiar with what, what they do, or, or, or something, you know, as, as complex as making sure an interaction uh, visually demonstrates what's happening um, when a user presses a button. So, for example, if, if a user were to say "optimize optimize um, a machine," for example, uh, you know, how do we convey that a transition from unoptimized to optimized has taken place without just showing an update of that number? Um, and so, that's quite important because that gives the user a sense that something has occurred rather than just um, showing them bef- a before and after state. It's almost like that middle state is is quite as important as well. Um, yeah. So that, that's that's a, a way I would explain it. Yeah.
0: Hybris has a fleet of applications which are very diverse and are used by customers in different industries, as well as with different supply chains. What principles do you work towards achieving when building those applications?
1: There are sort of overarching principles that we we try to follow, and again, this is unique to each product um, across various companies. Um, but the, the principles that we that we try to uh, that we try to follow at Hybris are uh, very much sort of aligned with uh, transparency, uh, simplicity, efficiency, and consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- the two biggest ones that I, I, I try to uh, work towards achieving every day is um, simplicity and efficiency. So, you know, our goal should always be to create an interface which suits the needs and workflows of both a novice and advanced users alike. Um, and to do so, we should aim to minimise the time and energy, energy Uh, required for a user to complete a task uh, whilst also sort of maintaining a level of sophistication suitable to their workflow as well Um, so we can't we can't sort of you know we have to we have to keep in mind uh, the fact that there are going to be people who use this who who may not be technical as well as people who are going to be quite advanced Um, so we've got to cater to those users but also keep keep the interface um, not as complex as the data that it holds essentially another thing might be you know the way users sort of control and navigate our products needs to match the workflow that they're familiar with. I think that's that's quite crucial. Um, Minimising the demand on, on on the on the load on the user really really helps a product to sort of stand out and, and, and be one that that a, a user uh, wants to use every day.
0: So obviously, when you are customising a tool for a customer, their feedback is extremely important. Yeah, right. How often do you get? Their feedback and how do you go about implementing it?
1: As much as possible. So, <laughs> um, I, ideally, it would be great if we could get feedback every day. Um, but uh, you know, working in the, the sort of the MVP sort of way that hybrid tends to operate, um, and and the the pace at which we operate as well, um, obviously doesn't allow that. Um, we do we do engage with users uh, often. Um, whether that be through, through the um, product leads or, or directly. Uh, we have a lot of sessions um, online and I've just actually recently travelled over to the US to get feedback directly from a few of our clients over there for an upcoming project that we're building. Um, but, yeah, those, those moments are, are really quite crucial. And, you know, without, without that, you know, I, I would say we're only really able to, to, to do the job um, at 50% capacity of what we could because that, that feedback that we get from, from an actual user is, is um, priceless, really.
0: Apart from collecting customer feedback, what are some other ways, KPIs, key performance indicators, if you would, that you use to measure that your design is effective?
1: Early on, even before, prior to actually speaking to a user to get their feedback, um, I'll do a lot of testing with um, internally with the team, uh, whether that be someone who works directly on the product or someone who doesn't, um, and, and grabbing their feedback is is just as just as important as, as a user sometimes because um, it it sort of helps uh, see see a problem from a different light. So sometimes uh, someone might be not uh, quite quite across the product that we're building, and you just ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Is this what, what do you expect this page to take you to once i click this or is this the right color to use or you know does the interaction feel natural to you um that that kind of feedback is 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 really really good to achieve early on as well um and then from that point on we would sort of uh look take a look at what what it currently exists and and, and test against that um and then you know I find it really important to have you know whiteboarding sessions as often as possible to get the team in front of in front of the the concepts and and the designed uh, solutions as early as possible to grab their feedback on on making sure that what we're what we're thinking um, is 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 the right approach and and is actually going to be viable.
0: Are there any trends in the world of product design that are currently emerging that you were implementing in your work that you would also encourage? Other designers to implement in theirs.
1: I think that the you know the, the world of, of 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 a product designer is always changing, um, especially the environment that we're in today with a lot of the emerging technologies, such as you know an iPhone has revolutionised the way we, we think about what an interface can be. Um, uh, you know, uh, virtual reality is even if it is pushing it even the next the next stage further after that. Um, I think in in relation to AI, I I would say that the pace is is slightly slower, but also slightly more um, advanced. So there's a, there's a lot there's a lot that is um, um, still needs to be developed, but there's a lot of um, really cool sort of emerging um, trends that sort of that come out of that space all the time that people are sort of testing and experimenting with. And I think that's exactly what it is at this stage with, you know, with the AI industry is that a lot of the trends that we that we try to implement in the in the UX and UI process are quite experimental and haven't haven't really been around for a long time. So it's um, it's interesting to see what um, what other people are doing Uh, and you get a good sense of that by by talking to people. Um, in, in similar sort of roles as you, in different companies, um, as well as you know attending attending events, which which Tram and I do, um, to, to just as simple as like, you know picking up a book on, on the issue or, or looking online and, and and just finding the trends which are which other big companies that um, use for inspiration uh, are, are doing. So for example, you know they may not be um, AI companies, but you know you can pick up trends from from Atlassian or from Slack or from other companies who, who who build sort of quite quite um, large scale products and and see how you might be able to implement implement um, similar sort of trends. You know, only just recently, basically on our trip to over to Bentonville, we we were working on um, a solution for one of our retailers over there, and the the complexity of the product was was enormous um, of of what we needed to do and. I think we reached about a halfway point um, in, in, in user feedback and testing that we realized that Mark and I sort of realized that uh, you know the way that a user was going to be able to navigate um, this this product just wasn't going to be enough to, to um, hold the, the scale of, of what we were, what we were trying to do here and so it required um, it required a sort of a new a new workflow to be developed, and at that point in time, I had been trialing a um, the implementation of a new navigation um, that could be sort of rolled out across multiple products once we start to scale up. And at that point in time, everything sort of just fit together at, 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 one, at one point. And I and I, just, I just said, you know, let's, let's try this out. Um, and so we worked a, a few long nights over there and we were able to sort of develop a, a, a new sort of form of navigation which was able to handle the complexity of the interface we were building. Um, and, it, you know, it was, it was really interesting because it, it sort of emerged out of um, two different ways of thinking, um, which, which um, you know, in the context of, of um, a retail solution has never really been done before. Um, so I think, you know, in, in that sense, we will sort of, you know, could potentially be setting a trend for, for a future on, on, a, on a way that a user might actually navigate uh, a product of, of this scale.
0: I'd love to hear more about this perhaps next time you get a chance to join us here, Luke. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Stay tuned and till the next time, everyone.